At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we kick off the new year, we invite you to tune into our current series, The Forgotten Virtue, Learning to Love Again, where we'll discover how God defines love, Christ personifies love, and the Spirit empowers us to love one another. Together, we'll experience healing and hope in the love God designed for us, a love we carry through every season of life. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, this morning we give you thanks that you rule and reign over all things, that yours is a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and that you have brought us into your kingdom, not through our own work, not through our own love of this world, but through your grace, which you've given us in Christ Jesus who has died for us. And we thank you, Father, that you rule and reign and shape your church, you shape your people through your word. And so this morning, as we come to your word to be fed, to hear your voice, to be reoriented to your ways today, would you humble our hearts? Would you, would you give us grace to receive what you say for us, to believe what is true and right and to follow you? Lord, would you give us grace this morning to put our eyes on Christ and as he is our king and ruler to follow him in all things. Lord, again this morning we do pray for our country. We pray for your peace to reign. We pray for your grace to abound. And Lord, as we, your people here this morning, gather to feast on your word, would you now feed us now. Help us, we pray, we are listening. I ask this in the name of Jesus, for your glory's sake. Amen. As we continue on in our series, uh, The Forgotten Virtue, Learning to Love Again. This is the second week of our series where we've been going through the book of 1 John. uh, And we've been really looking at from what John says about what it looks like for us to love as Christians and, and how important this is for us to actually live this out. Uh, it's something that's not easy for us to do by any means, but especially as we look to what this text has said, uh, says for us, it's not something that's necessarily it's easy. It's, it becomes very clear of that, but it's something that we are, it's very important. This virtue of love is something that is important for us as Christians. Now, I'm sure that most of us would agree that, that 2020 was a pretty difficult year. Uh, It it was one that brought a lot of hardships. Maybe you even experienced this on a personal level. 
Maybe you experience loss or some other form of hardship. I mean, certainly our country and our world experienced that last year. And I, I think that I've never seen any, any, any year like 21, 2021 be so anticipated for this new and coming year. Because I think a lot of people, they, they look to the new year oftentimes as this clean slate that it provides, so to speak, of where we can accomplish things, we can get things done that we want to get done. Uh, maybe things are going to be better. And so I don't think I've seen that any other year than this year in my life, more of an anticipation for a new year and the resolutions that come with it. Um, I think that it's, it's no secret that resolutions are, are pretty popular within our culture this time of year. Perhaps you've already been talking with people about what their resolutions are, come up with ones yourselves. I mean, it's not, it doesn't take much to figure out what some of the more popular resolutions even within our culture are. Uh, maybe, uh, you know, we just go on Google really quick and we see it, or we just know them off the top of our head, such, things such as losing weight or, or hitting the gym more, managing finances better, spending more quality time with loved ones. These are some of the top resolutions we see every year. Uh, maybe it sounds similar to something you've heard as you've talked through resolutions with other people, or maybe it's even one of the resolutions that you yourself have set for yourself this year, that this is what you want to accomplish this year. But the question I want us to, to think about today, or one of them anyways, is, is what is the purpose for the resolutions that we set? It's not that there's anything that's necessarily wrong with anything that I just listed, but I think it's a good practice for us to think through why are we setting the goals for ourselves that we are? And what is influencing those things? I think for our culture and world, it becomes pretty obvious that, that, that worldly values are oftentimes what drive these resolutions. I think we just kind of realize that, hey, this is what we're supposed to do, right? We're supposed to set these resolutions. Or, or maybe we're, we're thinking through that if we achieve what we've set out to, to achieve this year, that people will think more highly of us. Or, or maybe we feel like we'll grow as more responsible members within our society. Or, or maybe there's some other measure of success that you are looking to achieve or where the world is looking to achieve as we set out these resolutions. My question, again, though, is, is have these worldly values seeped into the church? I think we've all probably strived for after worldly values at one point in our lives or another. I think we'd all agree with that. But when we do this, as we are going to see today, our love is in the wrong place. And we're going to look at two important resolutions that we need to make if we are going to learn to love again. The first one is embrace who you are in Jesus. Embrace who you are in Jesus. Verses 12 through 14 show us this as it says this. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong. And the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Last week, Jeremy told us about two important tests 
that, that John tells us about that display whether we're living as Christians or not. That these tests are, are really, so to speak, things that need to be true of us as Christians if we can even call ourselves that. Today we're going to look at yet another test that John gives us. But this test is centered on the things that we love. And we're going to see today the love that God hates. But as we dive into our passage, John gives three specific aspects of our identities uh, in Christ that, we, that we, we are to embrace. He also addresses three different groups of people. He addresses these little children, fathers, and young men. Maybe you're here today and you're, you, as we were reading through that passage, you're just like, who are these people? Why is John addressing them? Is he leaving anybody out? You know, is he, is he talking to women here? I see a lot of uh, them talking about fathers and young men, but I don't see anything of language about women. I want to be clear. He's not leaving anybody out here. He is addressing all Christians, but what John is coming at is from a standpoint of spiritual maturity. He's addressing people based off of where they are spiritually in their lives, and this is important to keep in the further we go into our passage today. The first aspect of our identity that John wants us to see is that in Christ we are forgiven. He says that he's writing to you little I'm writing to you little children because you are for, your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. The little children here this is this is one of them that, that's actually not referencing spiritual maturity in some way. John's not doesn't have these baby Christians in mind when he says this. This is true of all of us. But but what John is, is doing here is, he, is by calling these, these, these Christians chil- his children, it's, it's one of his ways of, 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 of referencing all, of, all believers. It's not just uh, a certain group of, of spiritually ma- uh, mature people that, they're, that he's talking about here. He's, he's referencing all believers. And he wants us to remember that our sins are forgiven for his name's sake, for Christ's name's sake. This is a powerful reminder for us to remember that this is where our identities lie, that we have been forgiven. And it's easy for us to, to, to forget that. It's easy for us to forget that. But when we look at the Greek of this passage, when we look at what's, what's being said here, John's actually communicating to us that our sins have been forgiven once and for all. Like this is something that's taken place in the past, but it's continuing and ongoing even into now, into the present, that we don't have to worry anymore because of our sins have been forgiven. It's easy for us to look at our sin, perhaps wrongly even. Maybe we beat ourselves up still over the guilt of our sin. Maybe we, we feel like we're just not good enough because of that. But the beautiful thing is that when we are in Christ, we are forgiven. God does not hold that sin over our heads anymore. We shouldn't either. We shouldn't either. It's also easy to view our sin as perhaps we have this clean slate now that we've been forgiven and we can go ahead and do whatever we want, even if that means going on and continuing on in sin. But we don't have that option either. We've been forgiven for his name's sake. Like this costs God something. Jesus died for our sins, that we might be set free from our sin, not that we would continue on in it, so we see here that we're to walk away from our sin even while we're forgiven, but we also shouldn't beat ourselves up for it because we have great hope that has been given to us in Christ. It's a beautiful reminder that our identity is found in him. The next aspect of our identity that John 
hits home for us is that in Jesus we truly know and are known by God. He actually says this three times in this passage, more than any other aspect of, the, of our identity that he wants us to see, is he wants us to know that we are known by God that we, and we know him. He tells the children that they know the Father, again, referencing all Christians. He writes to the Father saying that they know him who is from the beginning. Again, a clear reference to God. Now, these fathers are older Christians, people who have grown in spiritual maturity, So we might be wondering as we come to this part of our text, like, why does John want the fathers to actually know this? Like, isn't this something that would, they they know already that they know and are known by God? I think it's easy for all of us to forget that. But perhaps a reason for that is, is in 1 John 2, 18 through 27, the passage directly after ours today. John describes this group of people that these Christians would have known that had walked away from the faith. And not only did they walk away, but they were, they were trying to deceive others from the truth. They were spewing these wrong things about the gospel. And I don't know this for sure, but maybe they knew these, some of these fathers knew those people that were walking away and had, had even seen them grow up and been very involved in their lives. Must have been really hard if that was the case to see them walk away as well. Maybe we've experienced that in our own lives, or we've seen people that we love walk away from Jesus. And that's not an easy thing to go through. Now, we don't know for sure that that's what the fathers were, were going through. Maybe it was, no matter what, though, whether it's good or bad, this is a beautiful truth to come back to, that they are known by God and that they know him. What an amazing truth this is, even for us today, that no matter what we're going through, we can hold on to this truth knowing that this is the case, that our hope is in the one who is from the beginning, that our hope is in the word who is from the beginning, who became flesh and dwelt among us. This is Jesus who died to set us free from our sin, and as he did that, he brought us into a relationship with God through faith in him. We, we can know that we know him and are known by him. It's amazing truth to hold on to in our lives. The final aspect in these few verses, these first few verses that John really wants us to see is that in Christ, we are overcomers. In Christ, we are overcomers. Now, we might be tempted to think of this term overcomer much like the world would think of an overcomer. Somebody who has gone through a tough obstacle or hardship in their lives and they, you know, they've come out better on the other side. They've done, put in the work themselves and, and made themselves better to some extent. When I think about this in our culture right now, and I'm a big sports fan, so this is why this comes to mind, but I think of the story of Alex Smith, a quarterback in the, the NFL, who just a few years ago, he broke his leg in, in a game. It was bad. It was to the point where he needed 17 surgeries. Like, doctors were questioning his even going to be able to keep his leg? Is he even going to be able to walk again? Like, it was bad. It was really, really bad. It took 17 surgeries, but then he got better. He worked himself back into good health, and he actually made a roster at the beginning of this year. He, play, he, was, he was playing for Washington, and it was amazing that he even made it that far. And as Washington began the season, they weren't very good, and so they needed to bring Alex Smith in. And all of a sudden, he leads them to the playoffs. 
Like, by our culture standards, this is absolutely what an overcomer would look like. Somebody who, who, who um, just put in the work necessary in order to overcome this great obstacle in their lives. But John's not telling us that this is what an overcomer is this morning. He tells the young men and writes to them twice that they have overcome the evil one. They've overcome the evil one. Both times he says this to the young men. And these are younger Christians who, based on the description John has of them and what he's telling to them here, it seems as though they have quite a bit of a, a zeal for the Lord, a, a desire to go and do things for him. And maybe we've all seen that in our own lives too, as we've seen people who have just come to know the Lord and they're, they're really excited and want to see others come to know him as well, experience this joy that they're experiencing. I think that's kind of what, the picture that John has, but maybe that they had a little too much zeal. Not that their heart for wanting to accomplish things for God was in the wrong place, but maybe the, the way they were trying to go about it was. Uh, it, it, he, he reminds them that they're strong here. And, and, and so, like I said, maybe it's a little too much zeal. Maybe they were trying to argue with these people who had walked away. Again, we don't know this for sure. Maybe they're trying to argue with them, much like the arguments we see on social media today that just go nowhere. But the thing is, no argument, no force, no effort of our own can draw people closer to Jesus. Only God can do that. And we need to remember that as well today. John wants the, these, these Christians, these young men, to see that their victory isn't from their own efforts. So where does it come from? Well, I think we see where in the second time that he says this, as he says, I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. We see a couple of things here just before John tells them that they have overcome the evil one. He says they're strong, and he says why they're strong. They're strong because the word of God abides in them. This has nothing to do with them. This has everything to do with God. When the word of God abides in us, we, we see that, 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 that it helps us to, to stay away from sin, and walk closer to Christ. It leads us in the way that is closer to him. But the thing is, that, that while God's word is, yes, this book, God's word is also a person. God's word is also a person. That person is Jesus who died and defeated death. He overcame the grave. He's the ultimate overcomer. And it's through his resurrection, his overcoming, that we can even be considered overcomers with him. He shares with his spoils with us in that. He's defeated Satan. He is the one who has overcome. And John wants these Christians to see that the focus needs to be on Christ's victory, not their own. His victory over death is what makes us conquerors and overcomers. And this is something we should remember as we, uh, as we, in our own lives as well as we go through life. And so I want to I remind us today that we need to embrace who we are in Jesus. The next resolution that I have for us that we were going to look at today is that we need to reject what the world has to offer. Reject what the world has to offer. And we see this in verses 15 through 17 where John writes this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the, loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world the desires of the flesh the, and the desires of the eyes and pride of life 
is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So here is our big test that we have finally come to today. Are we going to love the Father? Or are we going to love the things of this world? This is where we see the love that God hates. And when John references not loving something here, whether it be the world and the things of this world, or whether it be the Father, he's talking about rejecting one of those options. But remember, John has just reminded these same Christians where their identities lie, which is in Christ. Their identities are supposed to be in Christ. So he's saying, if you are forgiven, if you know and are known by God, if you are an overcomer because of what Jesus has done, because of his victory, then loving the world is not an option. Loving the world is not an option because it means rejecting God. This is why John says, do not love the world or the things of the world. Because in doing so, we are rejecting the Father. It says the love of the Father is not in that person. Maybe you feel like that's a big claim. Or maybe you're wondering, why does John even say that for us today? Is he saying that Christians should just isolate themselves completely from the people in this world who aren't Christians? Just kind of go it alone, if you will? John explains what he means by this statement in the following verses, but I want to be clear. He's not calling for us to separate ourselves from people in this world who don't identify as Christians. He's not saying that we can't be friends with these people. He's not saying that they shouldn't be a part of our lives. They absolutely should. But what John is calling Christians to here is to live distinct lifestyles from the world. He references what makes up the things of this world. In three different ways. He calls them the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride of life. In all of these things, they're lifestyle related. They speak to the various desires that we might have or covet. Like we might have the things that we're living living for already. John's saying that here. But we also might not. They might be things that other people have or things that we just really, really want. These things are not what are supposed to define us, he says. He says that if these things are what define us, then we're not living the distinct lives as Christians that we're called to live. really comes down to where are you trying to find your fulfillment? In the world or in God? Maybe you've heard it said before that what comes out of your mouth displays where your heart is. It shows us what we are loving what we care about the most. What is that for you? And more importantly, does it display a love for the things of this world or does it display a love for God? This is really convicting to think about. Even for me, I'm I'm thinking through that, I'm like, man, this is really, really hard. This is hard for all of us because the things of this world are very, very easy to love. But when we're trying to find our hope in a political leader, a political party, a political ideology, when we are trying to find our fulfillment in another relationship, whether that be a parent, a child, a spouse, no matter who that is, 
when we find ourselves trying to gain and accumulate as much wealth and money as we possibly can or have the next latest and greatest thing. When we're all about living to the best that we can, living the moral life or, or just trying to do whatever we can to make ourselves better, self-improve on our own. All of these things don't lead to the end that we hope for. These things don't lead to the end that we hope for. We seek to find fulfillment in these things, but it ultimately will not come from them because these things are not from the Father. They are from the world. And John goes on to say that the world and the things of this world, they're passing away. Now, over the holidays, I had the privilege of being able to take a vacation to Florida with my family I don't say that to brag to any of you here who were st- stuck in the cold over the holidays, um, but uh, it, was, it was fun to go down there. And the, actually, the place where we uh, were staying, they had these giant sandcastles in the middle of one of the parks there. And it was really cool to look at some of them. My favorite was personally this giant uh, Christmas tree that was, that was made out of sand. It had lights all over it and everything. It was, it was super cool. But all of these creations had gates all around them, making it so that you could only get so close to them as, you, you, as, as, as possible, as you could, because of the gate. And it makes sense as you think about it, because the people that made these things would have known, well, they're made of sand. It's very easy to destroy sand. I'm sure we've all seen uh, uh, a, uh, a sandcastle that was built just a little too close to the water, and all of a sudden a wave comes crashing in, and it's gone. Or we've seen little kids come running down the beach and, and, and knock into a sandcastle. And as they trample over it, it's gone. It's destroyed. These things are fragile. And that fragility is what John wants us to see in the things of this world. He wants us to see that they are passing away, that, they, that, they, that one day they will be gone. They might, might feel like we can find security in these things, but we really can't. But the good news is, John looks, points us to another aspect of our identity after telling us that the things of this world are passing away. He points us to the fact that those who do the will of God abide forever. Those who do the will of God abide forever. When we live out of our identities in Christ, the things of this world, they, they don't define us. This world doesn't define us. It's our permanent relationship with God that defines us. And this is a beautiful thing because we see that, that, that our love is not for the things of the world then. It's actually for God. This world will pass away. But the beautiful thing is we have hope that we won't. We see this hope detailed for us in the book of Revelation, which John also wrote. In Revelation 21, one, verses, verses 1, 5, and 6, John says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Here we see the future hope that we have as Christians, that one day we will abide with God forever 
in the new creation, in the world that is, that is, this world is one day going to pass away, but we will be a part of that new creation, that new creation that he makes, and we will be with him forever, living with him, getting to experience his love forever. Jesus has ushered in this hope for us on the cross, dying for us, and also overcoming the grave. He made a way for us to be forgiven, for us to know and be known by God, for us to be overcomers through his victory, and for us to ultimately have the hope that one day we will abide with God forever. We can trust that God will bring this to completion when he makes all things new on that day. He says it is done, that it's going to happen. We can trust that he is making all things new. This world provides no hope and security for us. It's just like those sandcastles that we talked about that are so fragile that they just sweep away, they're gone. So what's reflected on your heart? I want to ask you that again. What is it that's reflected on your heart this morning? Is it a love for the world or is it a love for God? Does your heart reflect a love for politics over God? Does your heart reflect a love for money over God? Does it reflect a love for the next latest and greatest thing over God? Does it reflect a love for somebody else, another individual over God? This shouldn't be. In Christ, our hope is completely and totally indestructible. It is solid ground that we stand on in Christ, which is not true of the things of this world. So let's let our hope be reflected through the love that, through loving God, not loving the things of this world. We need to reject what this world has to offer. From all of this today, we see that God rejects the love the world embraces. God rejects the love the world embraces. Maybe earlier as I was talking through New Year's resolutions, some of you were like, oh yeah, I love New Year's resolutions. I love being a part of those, or having, taking part in those every year. Maybe some of you are like, yeah, not so much. I'm not a big fan of them. Maybe that's because you feel overwhelmed by those goals that you set for yourselves. Maybe you're not sure if you can even accomplish the things that you've set out for. Maybe, you know, we're already 10 days into 2020, or 2021. We're already 10 days in, and you already feel like you have broken the resolutions that you said that this is what I'm going to do this year. Well, if that's the case, it's not too late to set new resolutions. And if you're going to, set ones like we talked about today. Embrace who you are in Jesus. Reject what this world has to offer. As you set these things, and really as you think through what you're doing in your life, think through, what is my love reflecting? Is my love reflecting a love for the things of this world? Or is my love reflecting a love for God? And as we see from our text today, our passage today, it's clear that as Christians, our love needs to be after God. It needs to be after the Father. Because if it's not, we're actually rejecting Him. And maybe today that all feels like quite a bit. That feels like a lot to, to hear all of this. And maybe you feel like, you know, I'm struggling to, to love the Father over the things of this world. I'm, I'm failing to embrace my identity in Christ. Well, I just want to remind you of the hope that we were given at the very beginning of this passage, if that's where you're at right now. 
The very first verse of our passage, verse 12, John says this, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Remember that. John wouldn't have written this if it weren't true. This is true. This is the hope that we have, that our sins are forgiven if we are in Christ, if we have a relationship with him. And so we need to have a right view of our sin. This doesn't mean we should continue on in that sin. But it doesn't mean we need to hold ourselves over our heads either. We can bring it before God. We can bring it to the Father and ask for forgiveness, knowing that as it says here, that we will be forgiven, that we are forgiven, and there is nothing that changes that hope. It's all because of the, the death and resurrection of Jesus that we are forgiven, that we know and are known by God, that we are overcomers with him, that we have this hope that we will abide with him forever. So there's no doubt that we have been provided so much hope in Christ. It's through him that we embrace the identities that he has given to us and, and reject what the world has to offer. This is the, the ground that we stand on if we have faith in him, and it's solid ground. So let's stand on that. Let's reject what the world embraces, what the world loves. Let's let our love reflect God and not the world. Because if it reflects the world, then we're rejecting God. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this hope that you have given us today, reminding us where our identities lie. That our identities are in the fact that we have been forgiven and that we know who God is, who you are, God. That we have but become overcomers because of what Jesus has done for us. Thank you for these truths, and thank you for the challenge by reminding us to not love the things of this world, Lord. Would you help us with that today? It's so easy to love these things, these things that we know we shouldn't. And when we find ourselves there, God, would you help us to repent of this sin, to bring it before you, and know that we walk as forgiven people, forgiven because of what Jesus has done. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.